The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Now please turn with me to Proverbs chapter 24, verses 11 through 12. This can be found on page 511 in the Black Bible in front of you. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Amen. You may be seated. Well, before we just dive into our uh, two texts here this morning, uh, we're going to do what we normally do. We're going to hit pause and we're going to pray. Um, Before we do, what I want to do is just um, say a few things here. This morning, our our subject is going to be on the sanctity of life. Again, this is something we've said we're going to be talking about. It's part of our normal uh, beginning of the year rhythm. We're going forward. We're going to take the first three Sundays of the year, talk on prayer, talk on the Word, and then we talk about the sanctity of life. And this morning, we're going to specifically focus on the good work of defending the preborn. And because this is the topic of our message this morning, what this means is that we'll be talking about abortion. Now, for some of us, this topic of abortion, it just hits very, very close to home. Um, The mere mention of it or the mere thinking of it brings up tons of pain, tons of hurt because you personally have had an abortion. For others of us, talking about abortion, it also hits close to home, not so much because of maybe personal decisions we've made um, to have an abortion ourselves, but we know we have encouraged others to have an abortion. We've wielded our influence, whether we are a parent to a child, grandparent to maybe cousins or siblings or whatever it might be, but what we've done is we've used our influence to encourage someone to get an abortion, or perhaps just the subject of abortion also floods you with emotions. There's all kinds of just pain and hurt that comes to mind when you talk about this thing called abortion because there are just maybe dear friends that you have, co-workers, or just distant family members, maybe near family members, to where you have begged and pleaded them not to abort their child, but in spite of your counsel, they made the decision to get the abortion anyways. And there's just a level of pain and hurt and emotions that come with that reality. Well, if this is you this morning, or somewhere in between, my encouragement for you is this, is to stick with me through to the end of our time this morning in the Word of God. No doubt what we're going to talk about this morning is just going to be painful. Um, But my goal this morning is in the end to ultimately see the overwhelming, amazing good news of Jesus Christ. You see, the aim this morning isn't just to talk about abortion for the sake of talking about abortion. My goal in the end is for us to see Jesus and to see how His grace is greater than all of our sin, even the sin of abortion. And so what I want to do for our time before we go forward is to hit pause and to pray. Because what we need is the Holy Spirit to open our minds, open our eyes to the realities of these things. 
So as we begin to talk about them, we wouldn't stiffen our necks and harden our hearts to what God has to say, but we would be made soft as a people who've been redeemed by the grace of God, who will then go forward doing the good work of God as a result of God's saving grace. So let's hit pause, let's pray, let's ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to empower the preaching of His Word, and then we'll dive into our time this morning. Father, I'm asking right now that you would take my message, that you would take my speech, and it would not just barely be a message of words only, but that this morning it would be you empowering the preaching of your word, filling me with the Spirit. So that what we could say is that the heavens were torn open. God has descended. He empowered the preaching of His Word. This time was a demonstration of the Spirit. It was a demonstration of His power. And what is different is me. God has changed me as a result of His Word. Father, I'm incapable of doing this. I don't have that power. That's why I'm begging you to do your good God work that you alone can do, which is to take the word of God and make it land on us, trusting it, seeing it, savoring it, believing it, doing it for what it is, the very word of God. God, turn our stony hearts toward you. Turn them away from apathy in regard to the murdering of children in the womb. Stoke the flames of passion in regard to these things. Father, have your way in us. It's in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. One of the fundamental truths that we read in the Word of God is that man was created in the image of God. In the opening chapter of Genesis, Moses tells us this, God created man in his, in, in his own image. In the image of God, He created him, male and female, He created them. Out of all that God made, whether it's the sun, the moon, the stars, whether it's the land, sky, water, plants, animals, no, no matter what we talk about in all that our God made, no other piece of God's creation holds this distinction of being made, created in the image of God. Only humanity is singled out as having this distinction. And because we bear the image of God, God has commanded us in His Word, you shall not murder. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. And God explains the reason for why you shall not murder when you go into Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, when again Moses writing says, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, and here's the reasoning, for God made man in his own image. In other words, to murder a person created in the image of God is to attack the very God who created them. And for our good, God says, do not murder, lest we be found attacking God Himself. You see, the Lord God alone, when you look through the Scriptures and work from Genesis to Revelation, a lot of things become very apparent concerning the Lord God. At least two things are this. It's the Lord God who has power to give life, and it is the Lord God alone who has the power to take life. Now, it's necessary for us to remind ourselves of these fundamental truths 
especially as it relates to the preborn in the womb. It was just a few weeks ago that a video featuring a woman named Amelia Bonow caught some traction as it made its rounds on Facebook. In an online video series called Kids Meet, children, various children, interview people who've had a wide range of experiences. The whole format is there's people uh, that most likely children, um, usually around preteen, teen age, just haven't met. And it's just people with all kinds of experiences. And like the whole video is seven, eight, nine, ten minutes long. And they bring in this person and they just go through like an interview style um, uh, conversation with these people as these kids meet person X who's had experience Y. And so what happened was a couple of weeks ago, this video shows up with Amelia Bonow and the children begin to have um, this interview experience with her. And in this particular video, as the children meet Amelia Bonow, um, she is best known as the founder of the Shout Your Abortion movement. The video features Bonow in this interview-style conversation, ultimately promoting the good of abortion to these children. And in a number of troubling talking points, Bonow takes basically the entirety of the video as she's interacting with these various children. Um, She takes the opportunity to not only champion abortion before these children, but she also takes the opportunity to denigrate adoption, saying in essence it would be better to abort a child than have to send out your child for an adoption. Some of the children begin to confess religious conviction on why abortion is wrong, and she repudiates that. Ultimately being asked, what happened when your abortion took place? And she referred to her own abortion as, quote, a crappy dentist appointment, end quote, where the doctor, quote, puts a little straw inside your uterus and sucks the pregnancy out, end quote. Noticeably using the euphemism pregnancy to refer to the human life that was in her womb. Frankly, if you watch the video, and I would encourage you to watch the video to be informed on what some are arguing for in the realm of abortion. But if you watch the video, it's just frankly infuriating as you watch it. Because in the video, it just strives to paint the taking of a human life in the best of terms. If you go to the Planned Parenthood website, they refer to the removal of the child from the room as a gentle cleaning of the uterus. And that's the same kind of euphemistic language that is used inside this video. What they're trying to do is paint abortion in the best of terms as Bonow just plainly, is, she's the leader, the CEO, the, the, the president of the Shout Your Abortion movement. What she's trying to do is just make a plain and simple case for the work of abortion. And so what we're going to do this morning is tackle this idea of abortion by asking ourselves, how should I respond? How should I respond to something like this? How should I respond to the ideas being promoted in that video? How should I think? As a follower of the Lord Jesus, more importantly, how should I act? Should I just simply be upset? Should you just watch it? Hover your mouse over the little like button, and then all the things come up. Happy face, frowny face. Do you just hit the frowny face on Facebook? Is that all we do? Do we just sort of shrug our shoulders and be like, ah, I mean, that's just what, what can you do? Or is there something which God calls us to do? My argument this morning is going to be is that there is very much something which God calls us to do. And in order to establish our response on the firm foundation that it must be rested on, My goal this morning is to take two truths from the Word of God and connect them together for us, which inform how God's people are inform how God's people are meant to act in regard to these things in light of who we are in Christ. We're going to look at two pieces of Scripture which ultimately show that the good news of God's grace compels the good work of defending the preborn. 
We just read those two pieces of Scripture up there just a couple of minutes ago. That's what Amanda read. In Titus chapter 2, what we're going to see is that Paul is going to go big on the amazing grace of God. He's going to talk about the good news of God's grace. And then we're going to transition into Proverbs chapter 24 because it's there in those two verses. In that proverb, the sage, the writer, is going to call us to the good work of defending the preborn. And when you stitch these two together, because I believe they can be stitched together in the language that God has used through Paul and through the sage, that what we're going to find is that for those who have been redeemed, saved, ransomed, radically pulled back from their sin, given new life, born again, whatever language you want to use, if these things describe you this morning, God says the grace of God is meant to compel you to the good work of defending the preborn in the womb. And so when we turn to Titus chapter 2, what we find is the Apostle Paul declaring this very first truth, simply the good news of God's grace. The good news of God's grace. This is Titus 2 verses 11 through 14. So just look at your copy of Scripture there, okay? Uh, My hope is this. I need to get better at saying this. Uh, My hope is this, is that you just don't trust that I am telling you something from the Bible that's true, right? Uh, I hope you trust that I'm telling you something that's true from the Bible. But I want you to do is take your eyes and look at your copy of Scripture as well. Because my aim this morning is to try to get you to see on any given Sunday that what I'm saying is coming from the Word of God as you interact with God through His Word through this time, okay? So whether it's an iPad, your phone, the Black Pew Bible in front of you, the Bible you brought with you, whatever it is, my encouragement is always when I say, look at this piece of Scripture, look at the piece of Scripture, Okay, all right, Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14, look at what he writes starting there in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. What you need to know is that at this point in Paul's letter to Titus, Titus is a fellow minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul has now turned his audience, Titus, to the amazing grace of God. With the sending of the eternal Son of God in the flesh, Paul tells us the grace of God has appeared. And with the appearing of the grace of God, it has brought salvation for all people. And for those who've been saved by grace, they are now enrolled into the school of grace. Notice that Paul is going to do something. He's going to say the grace of God has appeared. You glance down into verse 13, you see that this appearing of God's grace is the man, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul said with his first appearing, what you can do is look at the Lord Jesus Christ and what you see is the grace of God. And the moment that God saves you by his grace, what he simultaneously does is he saves you, he adopts you into the family of God, and then like a good parent, he immediately puts you into school. He enrolls you not only, he not only saves you, but he enrolls you into the school of grace. And like a good teacher who trains her students, God's grace, says Paul, trains us. Trains us to say no to ungodliness. Trains us to say yes to godly living. It's just right there in verse 12. Do you guys see that? The grace of God has appeared. What's the effect of God's grace in our life? It trains us to renounce ungodliness, to renounce worldly passions trains us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. This is the beauty of God's grace. It's not only saving grace, it's sanctifying grace. You need to know right now that if you're here this morning in Christ saying, my only hope of right standing with God, my only hope for the forgiveness of my sins, my only hope of eternal life is the grace of God, what you need to know is that God delights to save sinners by grace through faith And then he looks at you and says, but I'm not going to leave you on your own. Right now, you have the power to say no to sin in your life. 
And it's not because you're great, because God's grace is greater than your sin. You right now have the power to say yes to the things that are pleasing and right in the eyes of God. Why? Not because you have to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and muster the strength to live a godly life. It's because according to the Apostle Paul, the grace of God trains you, compels you, empowers you to live self-controlled, upright, translation, godly living. It's not on you. The power in you is God and His grace. So not only does God save us by His grace, He also continues to supply us with that sanctifying grace so that our salvation might be worked out in our daily lives. In other words, Paul is arguing for the cause and effect of grace. The cause and effect of grace. So as we, verse 13... Wait for our blessed hope. What is our blessed hope? The future appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Your present tense, day-to-day living, is to reflect this hope. Do you see what he's doing? He's zooming out, he's zooming in, he's zooming out, he's zooming in. God's grace has saved you. You have eternal life with him. Right now, it trains you to say no to sin, trains you to say yes to godly living. You have this great future hope, the appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What does this mean for tomorrow at work? Reflect that hope that you have, that the Lord Jesus will appear once again. Jesus Christ, he goes on to say, gave himself for us. And he did that on the cross. By his crucifixion and subsequent resurrection, Jesus redeemed us from all lawlessness. On the cross, Jesus purified for himself a people for his own possession. To use the language of the apostle Peter, According to His great mercy, God has, listen, caused us to be born again. And Paul says, it's this cause of God's saving grace which will produce the effect of a people who are zealous for good works. People who are zealous for good works. Do you see the cause and effect that's going on here? Jesus did not save you by his grace to set you on the sideline and pat you on the head and say, you just hold tight and don't you do a single thing until either you die or until I come back. That's not the, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is God has saved you by his grace and he says, man, I'm going to pump an infinite fount of sanctifying grace into your life so that day in and day out, as you're banking your hope on the future return of me, you can say no to sin, yes to godly living, and the cause of my sovereign saving grace in your life will work itself out in the everyday living, producing a people who are zealous for good works. Do you see this? This is not good works in the hopes that one day your good works outweigh the bad works so that God might let you into heaven. This isn't a call to just moral good living. What he's saying is this. It's grace first. Grace central. Jesus Christ as your only hope of salvation. And the reality is then when you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, the Bible is replete with the realities that grace will make you look, be, think, act, do differently. The cause of grace will have an effect in our lives. Now, the good work that Paul is talking about there at the end of verse 14, the way the Bible works out that idea of good works, it's numerous, it's many. It's numerous, it's many. But we find a definition of what Paul means by good works even within this own letter. Scan your eyes down to chapter 3, verse 14. Look at what he writes there. 
and let our people, so he's talking to Titus, learn to devote themselves to good works. So he repeats himself. You need to learn to devote yourself to good works. Titus encouraged the people to do this. Titus, here's my definition of what I mean by good works. So these people are basically helping cases of urgent need. Encourage them to not be unfruitful in this thing. Saved by grace, saved by grace, saved by grace. Titus, don't fail to help the people of God make the connection that to be saved by grace, grace will compel them forward to be zealous for good works, specifically to be zealous to help those cases of urgent need around them. So according to Paul, the fruitful effect of God's grace is a people who are devoted to helping cases of urgent need. That is, a person who is zealous for good works is someone that strives to meet the urgent needs they know of, someone that strives to meet the urgent needs that they can actually meet because God has ultimately met their greatest need in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the connection, saints? Do you see what's going going on here? My argument before you this morning is that if there was ever a case of urgent need in our world today, which calls for the zealous good work of God's people, it's the good work of defending the preborn. It's the good work of defending the preborn. So when you turn over into Proverbs chapter 24 and you begin to look at your Bible and go, does the Bible help me try to understand what these good works look like? My argument is at least ah, good work that the Bible talks about is found right here in Proverbs 24 verses 11 and 12. So when you flip backward to Proverbs 24, notice how the proverb begins in verse 11. The writer says this, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. So do you hear it? Rescue and hold back. Rescue and hold back. Rescue, hold back. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Now, without getting specific, the sage just simply tells us that in this world, there are those who need to be rescued from death. In this world, there are those who need to be held back from slaughter. In this proverb, there's this God-breathed generality that is just typical of biblical Proverbs. As one brother put it, the reason this proverb is general is so that we will not limit it to one group of humans and try to leave out another group. So you read this like he doesn't apply it, right? The Proverbs writer just says, listen, there's people in the world that are being taken away to death. The implication is they don't want to be taken away to death. They can't stop themselves from being taken away from, to death. And you need to be the one who recognizes they are being taken away to death and go, it's up to me to be responsible to go and make sure that they can be rescued. And he leaves it broad and general so that what we don't do is what our hearts are prone to do. So like, for instance, if the Proverbs writer just would have said something like this, listen, there are some, we'll just go into World War II. Specifically, there are some Jews who are being taken away to death in World War II in concentration camps. It's those people who are being slaughtered that you need to go and hold back. Well, then what we would have the temptation to do is come in and like, well, what he wants us to see is that that's the only situation that this truth applies Jews being led away to slaughter in World War II. And if that's what he's talking about, then all these other situations in life to where there are people being taken away to death and being led to slaughter. But he said the Jews, though, oh, we're free to not have to worry about all that stuff out there. But what he does is he goes broad so that as we learn to walk wisely in the Word of God, seeking to walk in a way that is pleasing to God, 
in light of the grace of God, we would begin to go, this general principle, it can apply in a very specific way. It can apply in a very specific way. And so the beauty of the generality of this proverb is that it teaches us to do something no matter the situation. If we know that someone is being taken away to death, if we know someone is stumbling to the slaughter, they need to be rescued, they need to be held back because they are unable to do so themselves. The implication is that the people in this situation are helpless to prevent their death. And they need the intervention of those who can help. The language of the word rescue in verse 11 is couched in a command. You who can do something, do something. Now what I love about the Bible, man, is like, man, it knows us so well. Does it not? Have you ever been reading the Bible and you're just like, man, that's good, that's good. And you're like, what? It's like, I think God just read my email before he wrote this in the Bible. Like, how in the world does he know, like, this thing is from me? And that's because God knows our hearts. And what I love about verse 12 in Proverbs chapter 24 is that God, speaking through the sage, perceives that we will, might have an objection to verse 11. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are being led to the slaughter. Ah! But I have an objection. You see, the writer knows something about us. He knows that the temptation for all of us is to operate in this sphere of life. Out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out of mind. He knows, the writer, that the dark work of death, the dark work of slaughter, is seldom done in the light. It's often done behind closed doors. It's often done away from public view. And because that's true, our ignorance, and I'm using the word ignorance in the truest sense of the term, to be ignorant of something just means you have a genuine lack of knowledge. You have a genuine lack of knowledge. And so because the dark work of death and the dark work of slaughter is seldom done in the light, behind closed doors, away from public view... Because that's true, our ignorance, our genuine lack of knowledge of some of these things can make it easy for the charge of verse 11 to hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter to slip to the back radar of our mind. But like a surgeon who cuts in order to heal, the rider cuts us to the core of our heart and says, guys, ignorance in this matter, that excuse won't hold water. As one translation puts verse 12, do not excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know. For says the rider, he who weighs the heart perceives it, and he who keeps watch over your soul knows it, and he will repay man according to his work. In other words, claiming ignorance of a widely known evil is no excuse for not rescuing the victims of slaughter. For God knows the true condition of the heart. Again, as one brother put it, God knows our motives. God knows our awareness exactly. He sees through all our rationalizations, and He knows perfectly when we have neglected a duty out of ignorance, neglected a duty out of laziness, Neglected a duty out of fear or apathy or preoccupation with lesser things. You see, listen, the Word of God beckons us beyond innocent ignorance and it compels us to do away with 
willful ignorance. Here's what I mean by those two phrases, innocent ignorance and willful ignorance. Innocent ignorance, again, go back to that definition of ignorance. To be ignorant of something is to just have a genuine lack of knowledge. There are some things that we are just innocently ignorant of. Like we just don't know what we don't know. And because we just don't know what we don't know, we don't act in a certain way. And so there's a level of ignorance to, there's a level of innocence to our ignorance in in any given situation. For some of us, that phrase, innocent ignorance, it just describes us this morning. For some of us, though, we find ourselves in the category of willful ignorance. Where what we say is, man, like I know that there are those being taken away to death. I know there are those being stumbled down the road to their slaughter. I know they need to be rescued. I know they need to be held back. But what I'm going to do is willfully remain ignorant, willfully act ignorant towards these things I know because, fill in the blank, whatever reason why you choose to stick in this place. When it comes to the world of abortion and the defense of the preborn in the womb, Pastor Jonathan, I find myself more in that latter category. More than I care to admit. Where my heart, for whatever reason, remains willfully ignorant of these things, thus leading to an not zealous good work of defending the preborn. But what God's word is saying here, whether it's genuine, innocent ignorance, like you just don't know certain things about what abortion involves. You don't know what the abortion pill does to the to that little baby in the womb. You don't know what vacuum aspiration does to that little baby as it literally gets vacuumed out of the womb. You don't know what dilation and extraction does to a baby when a doctor goes into the womb with some forceps and begins to pull that baby apart piece by piece, removing it from the womb. Maybe some of us do know those things, and yet our hearts are still hard towards these things. What God is saying to us, saints, is this. The stakes are too high to remain innocent or willful in our ignorance. The stakes are too high. That is a human being created in the image of God being murdered as it is forcefully removed, taken to its death, stumbling to its slaughter. You see, the aim of the writer in Proverbs 24, verses 11 and 12, is to awaken, listen, it's to awaken the recipients of God's grace to the good work of defending those who cannot defend themselves. And if there was ever a group of humanity in this world being taken away to death, stumbling to the slaughter, in need of defending, it would be the preborn in the womb because the dark work of abortion is the slaughter of those who cannot defend themselves. And when those who should not be killed are being taken away to be killed, God says His purified people, redeemed by grace, have the responsibility to seek their rescue. To seek their rescue. This, says God, is a good work worthy of your zeal. It's a good work worthy of your zeal. And so the question becomes, what could or what should the good work of defending the preborn look like? What could it look like? What should this good work of defending the preborn look like? I don't have this in my notes, but let me tell you what it's not. This is not a call to arms 
This is not a call to go get them abortionists, like to try to do harm to someone. There are people in this world who say the answer to the what could good work look like is to bring harm to those performing the abortions. No. Sin deceives. And in that moment, sin is deceiving you to think the very thing you're fighting against is okay for you to do, some, do to someone else. I don't like the fact that you're murdering a, a, a person created in the image of God. So what I'm going to do is try to murder you who's a person created in the image of God. Do you see the insanity of sin? That's not what this is about. Doing harm to others. It's not a call to like vigilante justice. That's not what this is. But here's what I do think it can be. Four things for you. What could or what should the good work of defending the preborn look like? The first good work is this. It's just the good work of being informed. The good work of being informed. I encourage you, take the deep dive. Google Planned Parenthood in Illinois. And what you'll begin to find as you just work your way through their website is a myriad of information. And so maybe you're just innocently ignorant on these things. My encouragement is fight innocent ignorance with the good work of just simply being informed. Did you know that Planned Parenthood has five locations in central Illinois? Five locations. And all five locations, I'm going to try to remember them here, I think it's Decatur, Champaign, Peoria, Springfield, and Bloomington. All five of those do the abortion pill. They administer the abortion pill. So if you are up to 10 weeks and you desire to abort your child, you can go to any one of these Planned Parenthood locations and they will give you a pill that you can go home and take and it will abort your child. Did you know that? Just one location, though, in central Illinois, Springfield, so our location right over there on the corner of what? Bruns and Jefferson, I think it is. Only one location in central Illinois performs surgical abortions. Right over there on Bruns Lane. So up to 19 weeks and six days here in the state of Illinois, if you have a desire to abort your child, you can go down to Bruns Lane, walk into Planned Parenthood, and you can abort your child. That's insane to me. We have so many pregnant women here. What is on the right on the cusp of week 20? What do you do? Do what? Yeah, you go in. You get that ultrasound. I want to see this baby. And you see that baby. Like, grow, man, face. Like, man, that looks like mom. Heart beating face. Week 20, backtrack a day to week 19, day 6. You could not walk into the hospital. You could go over to Planned Parenthood, Bruns Lane, and go, I want the baby removed. Did you know that abortions in Springfield, so basically central Illinois, that they're performed on Thursdays? Did you just simply know that there's two excellent pregnancy center organizations here in town that would be delighted to inform you. First Steps Pregnancy Center is one that we delight to partner with. And we have a brother back there who delights to partner with Right to Life here in town. Did you know that Right to Life owns the building right next door to Planned Parenthood on Bruns Lane? So that they can do the good work of zealously fighting for the defense of the preborn. So there's the good work of just simply being informed. Did you know that you could go and sign up for prayer letters and um, informational letters from Right to Life so that as First Steps is receiving abortion-minded women, what you can do is all of a sudden your email is firing off and what they'll just say, woman X just left, she's abortion-minded, here's these things, she doesn't know Jesus, pray for her salvation and pray for the life of that child. I know some of us here have those emails. I mean, they come in and what you're doing is you're like, boom, I go, God save, please save like that's just a, the good work of being informed. Right to life, same thing. Chock full of information, the little newsletters that they have and they send out, okay? That's one good work, all right? So if anything, like if you're just over here in the realm of innocent ignorance, you're like, man, I just don't know any of this stuff. Like this is all brand new information to me. I would, just, I would encourage you. The first good work is this. Begin to be informed. Begin to be informed. Second good work is this. It's the good work of giving. It's the good work of giving. It could be the give, giving of your time. Did you know that these organizations are looking for volunteers? Volunteers to counsel, volunteers to serve. It could be the good work of giving money. Organizations like this need financial support. That's why we seek to strive to support these organizations. More importantly, and this is more precious than anything else that we could give, did you know that you could, in the good work of giving, is give prayer? Just give prayer? 
One of the things I believe we did last year, if my mind is serving me right, is right to life. I think this year is going to be like early March to like mid-April. They do the 40 days for, 40 days for life prayer campaign. What they do is they seek to fill up those 40 days with churches and with people just praying, God, stop this atrocious, murderous act. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Intervene. Save these children. Save the mommies. Save the daddies who are, who are wanting to do this. And that you could be a part of that? That just goes back to the idea of just being informed. Man, now I know that there is this thing called 40 days for life that Right to Life does. Third thing we could do, the third good work, is just the good work of action. It's the good work of action. So we're now beginning to move down the pipeline, right? So it's not just simply being informed. It's not just simply learning how to give. But for some of us, maybe it's that next step to go, yeah, man, like I'm informed. Yeah, I'm giving. But the next good work for me to go forward in is I strive by the grace of God to be zealous for this thing is the good work of action. Did you know that on January 27th, there's going to be a rally for life at the Capitol building that happens every year? Huge rally. Was it last year? where they had the big crew from Chicago. Was that in January? Was I remembering that right? Yeah. Big crew down, man. High schoolers. All dressed out in yellow, man. I mean, it was like a, I don't want to say a riot. That's in private. But I mean, it was like a party. We marched down the street, man. We're singing like, yeah, we're chanting. We're on the state, front of the state Capitol building. We go in there, and it's a rally to show your support. State of Illinois, we want this thing to be ended. That's the action of just showing up for that thing. Did you know that on Thursdays, because Thursdays are the day that abortions are performed surgically in our city, that there are people out there on the sidewalk praying, usually in the front half of the day, 8 to noon? Maybe for you, the next step is like, I just need to take my lunch hour on a Thursday. And I'm going to go and beg God to do only what he can do. Did you know that Right to Life also has sidewalk counselors that are out there on Thursday as well? If you look at their December newsletter, they are looking for volunteers, people that they want to train, so that as abortion-minded people come in, not in a judgmental way, not in a con- condemning way, but to just try to inform them there, there is a better option than what, what you're considering doing here. It's the good work of action the good work of giving, the good work of being formed. Let me end it with this one here. Ultimately, at the end of the day, what we want to be consumed with is the good work of God's grace. It's the good work of God's grace. Listen, if you just checked out for the past three, tune in on this one, okay? The main thing to remember is this. God is not calling us to be zealous for good works for the mere sake of being zealous for good works. It's not what he's doing. The purpose of our good works, according to the Bible, is so that we might proclaim Jesus and glorify God. That's the purpose of your good works. Sinner. God's radical, amazing Sovereign, saving grace changes me from the inside out. That amazing grace begins to compel me to a life of zealous good works. Not because I'm trying to earn anything from God, but because God has given me everything I need in Jesus Christ. And the idea of the Scripture is when a sinner saved by grace reflects that grace to the world around them, zealous for good works, people will begin to look at that good works and go, uh, who's your Jesus and what is this about your God? Jesus says as much in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your what? Good works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Because again, when God's people strive to meet urgent needs because God has first met their need in Christ, it says something to the unbelieving world around us. In that moment, your good work 
born out of God's grace in your life will become the very proclamation it was intended to be, your good work pointing to the ultimate good work of God's grace displayed in Titus, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself to redeem, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself to purify a people for His own possession. So can I ask you this question? Has Jesus redeemed you by His grace? Has Jesus purified you and made you His own? If the answer is no, then this morning you need to know this. Your sin separates you from God, but you need to know that no sin pushes you beyond the reaching, mighty, powerful, saving arm of Jesus Christ. And today could be a day where you, by faith, by grace, through faith, look to Jesus and say, I need to be redeemed by you. I need to be purified by you. I need to be redeemed because I am a slave to sin and I need to be bought. I need to be purified because I'm stained by sin. I am not clean. I need to be made clean. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus delights to redeem and purify sinners. If this is you this morning, you can say, yes, God has redeemed me, Jesus has purified me, then know this. The good news of God's grace, even for you, is that as you're walking this life of grace, is that no past sin puts you beyond the saving grace of Jesus. For all who come to Jesus by grace through faith will find forgiveness for their sins. Has Jesus redeemed you? Has Jesus purified you? Let's pray. Father, take these words of my mouth. Take these meditations of my heart. Take this message, Lord God, and may it be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. God, take these words and do a great work in your people. Would you awaken us to the reality that the reality is just too great to just walk in willful or innocent ignorance. God, stir our hearts to be zealous for the good work of defending the preborn. Father, would you raise up a grace-fueled, army of believers who delight to walk in this way so that ultimately our good works will do what Jesus says they were designed to do, which is point people to the good news of a saving God so that they might do what they were created to do, which is give glory to God. Lord Jesus, help us. It's in your name I pray. Amen.